0: outline, look at the introduction at the top of your page. Continuing with practicalities of the Christian's walk with God, Romans chapter 14 is most commonly referred to as the chapter regarding, anybody know? Preferences versus principles. Does anybody want to take a crack at possibly defining the difference between those two. Megan. Preference is something that you prefer, like you choose. The principle is something you to live by. Yes, absolutely. And in this context specifically, principles would be something that is clearly outlined in God's Word for us to either do or not do. It's a principle of Scripture. It is a standard by which you must adhere to. Whereas a preference, it's more subjective to the believer. It's more kind of the gray areas of the Bible. Like uh, for example, you know, some people, there's some churches where they're really, really big on, you must wear a suit and a tie to church or you must wear a dress. And they're huge on that. Now, yes, does the Bible talk about modesty? Absolutely, but I look around at all of you guys and you guys are all dressed modestly, but none of you are in a suit and a tie or a dress. And so it's a preference, that church has a specific preference of this is how they choose to practice modesty, just as one small example. And this is the chapter that details the difference between these two. However, back on your outline, as we'll soon see, if we don't adopt the heart of Christ pertaining to these ever-important issues, this chapter will go by a different title to all of us, and it's why I titled tonight's message, How to Kill a Youth Group Quickly. Matthew 25, well, before we get there, I have verse 1, or no, excuse me, review from last week, last two weeks. Romans chapter 12, we looked at how Paul kicks off this whole practical approach, talking about how we must be living sacrifices. It's a reminder of how our salvation began, how we are dead to our old selves, dead to our old man, dead to sin. He gave us his life. We ought to yield our lives over every single day as reasonable service for him to live his life through us. Our minds constantly need to be renewed. We saw last week in chapter 13, how that involves submitting to different relationships that we have in this life, relationships with the government, with your other leaders, relationships with the lost world. Again, you're not going to be able to live that out unless you are living sacrifices and dying to self every single day. Tonight's going to be no different you will not be able to fulfill and carry out what God tells us through Romans 14 if you are not dying daily to self. It's not going to happen. In Romans 14, verse 1, he starts off the chapter by saying this. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye but not to doubtful disputations. We'll spend more time on that here in a second because that's where he really goes into the rest of the chapter. But for the first time ever going over this chapter as I was preparing for it and studying it, I wrote out Romans 14. That's kind of been my study prep for all of these chapters. I've been writing them out before I dive into them. Even though I've gone through Romans several times over, I wanted this to be fresh. I didn't want to put most of what I've learned or most of what I've seen before in it. I wanted it to be fresh. And for the first time ever, as I'm writing out Romans 14, this first half of this verse stuck out to me. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. And I started thinking, you know, there's a lot of reasons as to why someone might be weak in the faith. Typically, when we think about that and how the Bible has used that throughout the rest of the Bible, we tend to think of somebody who is willfully weak, someone who chooses to be weak, someone who is weak or willfully ignorant. They don't want to have any growth in their life. They don't want to have any strength from doing what God's word says. They just want to stay where they're at. That's how we typically tend to think about this. But there's more than one way that someone could be weak in their faith. In other cases, it might be that someone is just weak because they're just spiritually younger. Somebody who maybe just recently got saved, they're going to be weaker, just like a newborn baby is weaker compared to you teenagers. Sometimes somebody is weak in the faith because of that, because they're just spiritually young in their walk. And other times people are weak in the faith because they're not growing. Now again, that could be because of their doing, or it could be because where they're at, they're not being fed. They're not being fed properly from the Word of God, and they're not growing. And that can cause them to be weak, whatever the case is. Maybe it's them, maybe it's not them. Whatever the case is, and this is where it hit me, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. You know, most of you guys are familiar with my testimony and... and I won't go through the specifics. I'll, I usually try to add new details every single time I tell it, but I got saved going into my eighth grade year. And one of the things that I don't think I have mentioned to you before is that uh, one of the reasons why when I got went back uh, after summer camp and started my eighth grade year and I fell back with all of my school friends doing the exact same things I was doing before I got saved, one of the reasons why I think that happened is because I didn't get plugged into the junior high youth ministry. And something you also may not know about this church's history is that we actually didn't have a Sunday school until three years in to our church. So like our church started at 1015 with the main service. Now we did have a Sunday night service, though, and that counted as our Sunday school. And I don't know if it was just because, you know, still a young kid. My parents weren't coming here. I was I was coming by friends of mine who invited me, who were faithful to give me rides down to the First Baptist Church in New Philadelphia. And then up here when we planted this church. And I think I just, you know, I don't know, didn't want to go back to church for a second time in one day. So I chose not to go back. Fast forward two years of living my life my way. Eventually, though, when I get up to be a freshman, still not walking with God. I don't know what it was, but something compelled me to go to senior high. And it was on a Sunday night, and so I started going, and this was at the beginning of my freshman year. Again, not walking with God, but there every single Sunday at youth group, there every single Sunday morning for main service. And uh, I would participate, have fun, but put on the facade. But deep down, I was a weak believer, and I wasn't growing. And um, I remember there was this one particular Sunday night in April, And I can't remember what the passage was. I can't remember what Pastor Jay taught on. But uh, I remember being stirred in my spirit. And uh, I asked him, because we were at Jackson High School back then. I was like, can I see in the hallway? And uh, I told him that um, I need more of this. I need more of what we've been doing the last year. Because two days, two times a week wasn't enough. Sunday school and main service. I needed something more. And really it was a cry for help. Because I knew God wanted more out of me than what I was giving him. And I remember him telling me that, uh, he goes, you're in luck because soon here we're going to get material in from one of our sister, not sister, but like-minded churches out in Kansas City. And we're going to start the very first time our own senior high discipleship. Something else you might not know is that we didn't have discipleship right out of the gate. Took us four years before we finally had it as a senior high. Fast forward two months later to that summer, I'm at camp, the camp that changed my life around forever, and I'm in the back of a bus. We just got done whitewater rafting at the New River Gorge down in West Virginia, which is where we used to hold our camps. And I'm sitting in the back and my heart is just heavy from all the messages that Mike Blake had preached that week on the judgment seat of Christ and everything else. I just remember so vividly in my head, and in my heart, but I wasn't ready yet to surrender. I wasn't ready yet to cross over and say, all right, this is what I know I need. And this is what I'm going to do to get what I need and to be right with the Lord. I'm sitting back there and Mike Blake makes his way back in the bus. And of course, whitewater rafting, you're exhausted. And this is like the day we do Cedar Point for us. So it's the day at camp that you guys all remember you're exhausted. You're whooped, especially after whitewater rafting. So I'm exhausted and he sits down and he just starts talking to me, getting to know me. And um, he said to me something I'll never forget. And I can't remember where it transitioned in the conversation, but he just said, uh, you know, Jay and Courtney see a lot of potential in you. And he said, I do too. And I just kind of uh, didn't know what to say. I just remember sitting back and, and he got up and went to go talk with somebody else on the bus and it just got me thinking. I know how I've lived my life the last two years. What on earth kind of potential could they possibly see in me? I was weak in the faith. And it'd be later that night where I would rededicate my life to the Lord and I'd surrender to full-time Christian service. And that was the point in my life where I never went back. And it's funny, I didn't even think about it until this week that out of all of those messages and everything that transpired in the last two years of my life leading up to that point what if that was the very conversation I needed to have that would have crossed me over that had someone not came up to me and said that I matter and that I was received in spite of my weak faith how do I know that that wouldn't have forever changed the course of my life and that I wouldn't be here today And I never thought about that. In 20 years, I never thought that that conversation might have been the deciding factor. So let me just say this. I don't care where you've been from. I don't care where you're from. If you personally feel that for whatever reason at all that you are weak in the faith because of just spiritually young decisions you might have made or because you weren't growing whatever the case is you are received here and I will make it my life's mission to make sure that for each and every single one of you because i forever changed my life to have somebody tell me that and I'm sorry if so far in the last year that we've been here, if I haven't made you felt that way. And I don't know, but this is what God just convicted me of this week. And so let me also say this. It says there, him that is weak in the faith receive ye. You receive them. That means the part and the responsibility also goes out to you guys for each other. So let me say this. If there's anybody in here who's not making you feel received, any single one of you can come up to me at any time and talk with me and we'll work it out together. Doesn't mean I'm going to believe you. It doesn't mean I'm going to dismiss you either. We're going to work it out because we are a family. Because you are needed and you are received here. No matter what you've been through, no matter where your faith is, That will always be the case. And if not, you come see me. Okay? It's funny, I remember being in JBI. We were going through manuscript evidence talking about how we got our Bible the history behind it and how God has preserved it through such miraculous details. And I remember Pastor Tom during one special night, and this is back when, I mean, it's open to guys and girls, but this particular time in my life, it was just guys in there. And I think because of that, Pastor Tom was just a little bit different that night. And I remember he came up to each and every single one of us. And in no weird way, he made a pact with us. He's like, you guys... Do you guys see what God's been through to get this book to us? He's like, listen, if any one of you walk away from this book after what you know and what you've been taught, I'm coming after you. And he came up to each and every single one of us and he made us shake his hand. And he's like, do you agree to that? And all of us did. I won't do that to you tonight partly because there's way too many of you in here, and that would take forever. But just know, not in the I'm going to come after you if you leave this book part, but if you don't feel received, if you don't feel like you belong here because of me or anyone else, you come see me. Deal? Okay. Oh, we're in Matthew 25. We better read this. Verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. He was weak, in other words. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and, and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee and are naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Jesus is saying that when we do that, To the weak in faith. It's the same as us taking care of Christ. In his weakness. In everything he went through. To pay the price for your sin. So point one on our outline. We're talking about preferences for the first half of Romans 14. That's dealing with the gray issues of the Bible and our walk. And in sub point one, first and foremost, don't treat your brother or sister as an outcast when there's a difference of opinion. He says, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. In other words, don't make mountains out of molehills. Don't make issues bigger than what they actually are. And that's what preferences are. You can flip back to Romans chapter 14 now. He goes on further in point two. He says, don't argue with or judge each other over matters that have nothing to do with salvation or sanctification. A lot of churches get in trouble when they start debating and having fights and arguing and judging each other over things that have nothing to do with the gospel and over things that have nothing to do with your walk with Christ. Salvation, sanctification. That's where churches get into a lot of trouble with these gray areas, with these preferential areas. And let's just put it more down onto our level. You guys might not have fights over how each other dress. But... Are there other little petty things that you might bicker over? If you do, and you start judging each other over it, and you treat each other like outcasts, well, that's a way, quick lead on how to destroy a youth ministry. Look at verse 2. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. you got to keep in mind, too, that back then during this time, a lot of Jews were coming to faith in Christ. And so Romans would see these Jews get saved and they would see these Jews start eating pork and the Romans who just got saved would be like, wait a second, what are you doing? You're a Jew. You can't eat that. Because again, they didn't have a completed Bible. They didn't realize that. No, we're in the New Testament now. Jews can eat these things. It's not the Old Testament law anymore. So somebody who just recently got saved, a Gentile who just recently got saved, would see a Jew eating these things, and he would be caught up in his faith, like, wait, so does that mean some of my old pagan practices that I can still keep doing then? Or that which was forbidden for me in pagan practices, I can now partake in? And that's why Paul's trying to clear this up. There were people who'd say, hey, I can eat all things, but another one's like, I eat only herbs. Verse 3, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth do you guys see there how the word despised is linked with the word judging here when you are unrighteously judging somebody else you are despising them for God hath received him boy if God's received them you better receive them too you better welcome them in (laughs) Verse four: Who art thou that judgest another man's servant, Christ's servant, to his own master? He standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. In other words, don't argue with each other over things that have nothing to do with the gospel or how to walk properly with Christ. Doesn't matter. First Timothy one four. Paul says to Timothy, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Hey, if you're gonna argue over things that are gonna build you up in your faith, do that, so do it. But things that are fables, doesn't matter, endless genealogies, you know what those things produce? (laughs) More questions does nothing to help build you up it's fruitless he says again in titus 3 9 but avoid foolish questions sometimes people ask questions just because they like to hear themselves talk he says avoid that don't even give them a time of the day and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for they are unprofitable and vain that's the doubtful disputations he says in verse one but you're still receiving them Just don't argue and fight over these things and these petty differences that don't matter. And we'll see how we can judge these things by the end of tonight. Look at letter B on your outline. The Lordship of Jesus Christ must take the preeminence in these scenarios. In other words, it must be the deciding factor. It must be the end-all, be-all of what drives this kind of conflict resolution. Look at verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another You realize that there are some people who do not Well, I hate to use the word celebrate But there are people who do not participate in Halloween because of the pagan and downright evil practices that actually do go on Even to this day all throughout the world It's actually a pretty sick holiday when you look at the history of it and there are some people because of that and because of the pagan roots of it, don't want any participation with it, and that's totally cool. There are other people who do that. Not that they participate in the pagan practices, but we take Wyatt and Ryder trick-or-treating, and it gives me an excuse to dress up and be an idiot. What? Beetlejuice. Yeah, why not? Sometimes Batman. That's what he's talking about hey one man regardeth the day another guy is like hey all days are the same to me you see how it has nothing to do with salvation or sanctification verse remaining verse 5 another esteemeth every day alike let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto who and he that regardeth not the day to who he doth not regard it he that eateth eateth to who For he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not, to who? He eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, because you're dead, and your life is hid in Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live, yet not you, but Christ liveth in you, and no man dieth to himself. Verse 8. For whether we live, we live unto who? And whether we die, we die unto who? Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are who? You see why I mentioned the Lordship of Christ? You know what's interesting? I also looked this up. Never knew this before this week when I studied this. Did you know that the word Lord is used 10 times in this chapter? And it's used 10 times in chapter 16. Now, why that's significant is chapter 14 that we're reading tonight, and chapter 16, and well, actually next week's time when we finish this, They tie for the second most usage in all of the New Testament of the word Lord. Second only behind 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You know what Paul is trying to get through to these people? It's the same thing he was trying to get through to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That you must come to a point in your life where Jesus Christ is not just your Savior, but He is your Lord. He is your Master I think there's only a small handful of you juniors and seniors in here, but do you remember a winter camp a couple years back that I taught called Jesus your Lord? Hold your place here. We got time. Turn over to Luke 17. The headline verse was this passage here. This is my story. This is what happened in the back of that bus in West Virginia. Luke 17, look at verse 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he, Jesus, entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were what? Does anybody know what lepers or leprosy represents in the Bible? It's a picture of what? Who said it? Sin. It's a picture of sin. So ten sinners come to Christ. Let's see what happens with them. And they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus. You know what Jesus means? It means, uh, <laughs> I don't have the note here. I'm trying to remember back five years ago whenever I taught that. I think God Jesus God means, saves. God saves, yes. God saves. Thank you, Kendall. God saves. Jesus, my Savior. And then what's the next word they say? Master. master. You know what Lord means? It means Master. So they're saying, Savior, Lord, have mercy on us. They know who he is. They're coming to him because they know that only he can dispense mercy. And they asked to receive it. And when he, verse 14, saw them, he said unto them, go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. So you guys get the picture, right? Ten lepers, leprosy is a picture of sin. All ten of them were cleansed of their sin. So let me ask you, saved or no? Saved. Yeah, they're saved. They're going and they show themselves to the priests. Verse 15. And one of them, when he saw, because he had perspective, that he was healed turned back and with a loud voice glorified God here's what that looks like verse 16 and fell down on his face at his feet I told you how Lord means master but do you know what master actually means? it means to stand over to stand over In other words, what this guy was doing was letting Jesus be his Lord. Allowing Jesus to rule and reign and have control over every aspect of his life. And that posture of being on his face is the posture of a dead man. Because he is crucified with Christ. Not until Christ is crucified, but you guys get the picture. And giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus said. Were there not ten cleansed? Ten saved? But where are the nine? There are not found that return. To give glory to God. Save this stranger. Or accept this stranger. My faith has made thee whole. Nine out of ten people. Who receive Christ. Only one percent. Or ten out of ten people. Who receive Christ. Only one percent of them. Will actually let God completely live and rule and reign and have control over their life. That's how few and far between this actually is. So where do you lie? Where do you, oh yeah, where do you lie? I was going to say, where do you stand? But (laughs) I guess it both work. Are you one of the nine who stand? Are you the one who's lying down and letting Christ live his life through you? back to Romans 14 when it comes to these kind of petty issues that's the mindset you need to have Christ is in control Christ is in charge I need to put aside my passionate argument about this preference or this liberty that I have about the music I listen to or judging you for the clothes you wear or for the holidays you celebrate, etc. and so forth or even just the petty squabbles that have nothing to do with salvation or sanctification putting those things aside and letting Christ rule and reign that's the key look at verse 10 but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at not thy brother? <laughs> That's interesting too. You guys see how when he says, but why dost thou judge thy brother? You're taking a direct action there. You're, you're doing something. It's almost as though you're, you're calling them out. You're saying something to them. But did you notice how he switches gears and covers the flip side of the coin? Or why put it or why dost thou set at not thy brother? If judging them is the direct action you're taking, setting them at naught is the indirect action. He's saying both are wrong. Some of you might be bold and brazen and be like, hey, you know what? I have a problem with you for this. And it's not sin-related. It's not biblical-related. It's just one of those gray areas that we're talking about. That's the judging part. But some of you may also be of the mindset of, hmm, Oh, they think that? Uh, Well, there I am. Just going to not say hi to them anymore on Wednesdays or Sundays. (laughs) I'll do that, though. (laughs) Make that face. That way, yeah. Do you know what they did? Do you know what they think? You're setting them at naught. It's not the direct action. It's the indirect action. And both are equally wrong. (sighs) And look what he says here. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Somebody remind me again, uh, what's this type of judgment? It's the judgment for only who? Lost people? Believers. Believers. It's you standing before God, having your day in court for your works since the day you got saved. And it includes these kind of conversations and topics and discussions. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Do you guys see that? Let's read it again. So the, Let's read it all together. Why the heck not? Verse 12. So then... Let's read it all together. <laughs> so then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now do you see why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. If that day doesn't scare you, hmm, you might want to re-listen to this message when it gets posted. Point two. Knowing that all of us individually will have to give an account the judgment seat of Christ as to what degree we allowed Christ to be the Lord of our lives. Oh, I completely skipped point one, didn't I? Sorry, point one. Point two will make more sense when we cover point one. When it comes to preferential beliefs, music, clothing, etc. All things must be done as unto the Lord through personal convictions as we surrender control to him knowing that all of us individually will have to give an account at the judgment seat as to what degree we allowed Christ to be the Lord of our lives. So, hey, if somebody in here has a personal belief of, hey, you know what? I don't listen to that music. And here's the reason why. Respect that. And if you hold the belief that you don't listen to that music, don't start condemning them if they do listen to that kind of music. Now, I do feel like I need to clarify this. We as leaders tend to fall more on the conservative side of things. Reasons being, 2 Timothy 3 makes it very clear that as we get closer to the day of the rapture, things are going to get worse and worse. And so if we talk with you guys about music or dress or, I don't know, any other kind of preferential thing, and we're telling you guys to be cautious... And we're telling you guys to be careful. And if it may seem like we're getting to that point where you might think, oh, you guys are violating the judging clause here. That may be so, I don't want to discount that, maybe we are. But look at it also from from the perspective of maybe we see an attitude or an action that is coming forth because of what you're letting into your ears, because of what you're letting into your eyes, because of the way you dress, Maybe we see an attitude and an action that's brewing that is causing us to say, hey, you have liberty in Christ to listen or watch that stuff, but I'm also seeing that you're kind of having a foul mouth, or I'm seeing it's kind of getting you a little angry and amped up. Have you considered that maybe this stuff is what's influencing you? We will present things to you guys like that, especially if we see that there's attitudes or actions that might be coming and stemming from these very things. You do have liberty in Christ with that, but we're warning you as leaders be careful Because things are going to get worse and worse the closer that we get to the rapture Which means the things that you listen to are going to sway you and influence you more than it would when we were in school It's going to be stronger of a pull, Stronger of a pull back to the worldly system Want to make sure I said that All right So that's preferences. Now we come to main point number two, principles. And the preferences, again, are those gray areas that the scripture doesn't really cover. Uh, You know, and, and we can tend to make mountains out of molehills with those things. Principles being truths of scripture. Man, the main goal for this one is keep the main thing the main thing. In other words, what does the Bible say? Let God be true and every man a liar. So if you're in clear violation of the word of God, hey, no, you can't pull up Romans 14 on this one. If you're in clear violation, we're going to say something to you. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, if you see something in love, receive him and do the same. So letter A. Always, always, always have a mind of humility and charity towards your brothers and sisters above your own preferences and liberties you're letting the lordship of christ rule and reign look at verse 13 so then every one of us or what, verse 13 sorry in light of the judgment seat of christ let us not therefore judge one another anymore again in the gray areas but judge this rather in other words he's going to give you a principle paul's saying hey there's certain areas don't get involved in don't make mountains out of molehills, but." You are going to judge this. He's In other words, he's commanding it. And since Paul is under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost here in 2 Peter 1 and 2 Timothy 3.16, this means God is commanding it. So this is a principle. He does want you to do this. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Yeah, I got to share this. This is, I got permission from him to share this story. It's his story. I'm involved in it, but I, 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 it just fits. And I couldn't think of anything else. And maybe this will help kind of solidify things a little bit more for you guys. Um, I've known pastor Aaron, uh, since I was in the senior high, he was a college career single. Uh, and you know, him along with pastor Stephen being college career singles, they were kind of, you know, looking after me and wanting me to come into the singles and just being, you know, friends with me and then eventually Annie started coming to church and just ruined that whole friendship dynamic. Really wish she was here to hear that. Um, but uh, for those of you who've never heard Pastor Aaron's story, you know, he had a rough background even after he got saved uh, of just sin issues. Kind of similar, similar to me in that we got saved. There's a period of time walking away but things that he did, man, you can ask him about it. He'll tell you. But... um just really, really took him down a dark place, especially when he was in the National Guard over in Italy for a short time. Well, anyways, when he came back and was walking with God, he hadn't been walking with God for too long. And uh, I remember me, him, I think Andy was there and uh two other guys two other friends of ours from the singles we were just going to do a road trip because that's what we did when you get to college career singles kind of fun you just do spontaneous road trips because you have no responsibilities it's fun so we decided to do like just a, a one-night road trip to west virginia like we left at like four o'clock we were going to drive down like get some food there and then just drive back didn't matter when we got home again single life bachelor life and uh i remember I don't know what it was, but I was wearing a t-shirt of my brothers and it was of a metal band. It was a secular metal band and uh, I wore it and Aaron saw it and he's like, oh dude, I used to listen to them all the time. And so we get in the car, all of us, and then eventually a conversation comes up like, hey, let's listen to some old like awesome music. And it was a lot of like different metal or different rock, things like that, but definitely not too many Christian songs, let me just tell you. And uh, here I am, and we, a song comes on, classic rock song. You guys are probably gonna laugh at this, but it, it fits with the story I'm gonna share. So I won't take it against you if you laugh. The lyric goes like this. So let me get to the point. Let's roll another joint. Turn the radio down. It's too loud. I wanna slow things down. And here I am. Because I've never done drugs before. That didn't affect me. It was a catchy tune. It was a catchy beat. But as I'm hearing that and even kind of singing along to it, not thinking anything, the lyrics just go in one ear and out the other, I turn and look at Aaron. And Aaron is almost like going into like this like reliving old memories where he's actually you know, mocking out, like, the actions of doing that. And that's where it hit me. I was like, holy smokes. Like, this is probably bringing up some old feelings of him. Because if you know his story, music was his God. He'll tell you that. Music and rock music was his God. And that was the gateway to all of the drugs and the things that he ended up getting himself into. So here we are listening to this stuff, and it's conjuring up old memories that he has brought on by me. Long story, short, too late. Uh, we were all just kind of rowdy that night. We didn't sin or anything like that, but I remember, like, he ended up getting pulled over. He was driving. He ended up getting pulled over for going, like, 90 in a 65. And I remember him, I think he was actually possibly even mouthy with the cop. And got a ticket for it. And we all said we're going to chip in and pay for it uh, or pay our part for it, you know, and things like that. And it was just a weird night. So the next day or two days later, we go to church and he pulls me aside. and He's like, dude, he's like, I feel absolutely disgusted that we listen to that music because it conjured up all those old feelings of the things that I felt when I was in that sin and I was in that lifestyle. And he told me, he's like, dude, you can't wear that shirt anymore. And we can't listen to that stuff anymore when we hang out. And at first I was kind of ticked at him and they're like, you're telling me what to do with my shirt. And Hey, I can listen to that stuff and not go on a drug binge or not feel like I'm going to do things. I'm able to do that, but let's keep reading. We already saw verse 13. Let's read it again. Actually, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man, Put a stumbling block or an occasion of fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself. We can eat anything, is the context he's saying. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, music in some cases, in this example, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat because you don't see anything wrong with it, Now walkest thou not charitably, if you're eating in front of him when it's causing him to stumble. You're the one in error now because you're causing your brother to fall. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Yes, you have liberty to listen whatever you want to, but verse 16, Let not then your good be evil spoken of, which it has a tendency to do. Do you see how these preferences can kill a youth ministry, can kill friendships, can kill somebody else's walk? We got to be careful. So on your outline, point one, any judgment that is to be done ought to be first done to ourselves, evaluating our own walk with Christ. Uh, We just saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for communion last Sunday. Judge this rather. You judge yourselves that you be not judged of God. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourselves. Anybody know the next word? Daily. Examine yourselves daily whether ye be in the faith. And point two, don't let your liberty become a stumbling block for your brother or sister to sin. You all should check out 1 Corinthians 8, verses 9 to 13 later. It's basically repeating this. You got music, you have clothes that you wear. And let me just say this too. I am so thankful for the youth ministry that we have right now where we don't have to pull any of you ladies aside and say, you need to change the way you're you're dressing right now because you're causing your brothers to stumble. Like my leaders had to with some of the girls in my youth group. Just keep this in mind though. Fashions change. Times change. Five, ten years from now, when you guys are running this... You might have to have those uncomfortable conversations with key girls in your youth ministry about the way they dress because it's fashionable. Everyone else is dressed this way. You're causing your brothers to sin. Thankfully, we haven't had to have any of those conversations with any of you. So thank you for making this job easy. Letter B. Stay focused on building up the internal kingdom of God and not beautifying the external works of the flesh. Internal, not external. All of these preferential things, they're external. They have nothing to do with making you stronger in your walk with Christ. So don't make it an argument that ends up detrimenting that. Look at verse 16. Again, let not then your evil be, or your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God... He says kingdom of God there, which yes, surprisingly in many churches, they don't differentiate between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Uh, birds fly around in heaven. Birds do not fly around in God. Therefore, the two are different. The kingdom of heaven is the physical, literal place where Jesus Christ will sit and rule and reign for all of eternity in Jerusalem. The kingdom of God is the spiritual internal kingdom where Jesus Christ sits and rules and reigns from the seat of your heart. That's your salvation in other words. That's what the kingdom of God is. And he you this is a this is a core doctrinal verse that shows that there's a difference because he's saying kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not something you ingest, it's not something tangible. But here's what it is. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things Serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. You know what we find from these verses, point one? Believers who are actively serving won't have time to to entertain petty arguments. And again, I've been trying to bring it back down to your guys' level. Maybe you guys don't have arguments over music. Or clothing or holidays or whatever but do you guys not have petty arguments sometimes things that have nothing to do with the cross things that have nothing to do with your sanctification yeah those who are actively serving you're not even gonna have time to entertain the petty arguments and so if you are entertaining the petty arguments time to get busy it's time to get serving find somewhere and start serving there Check out 2 Thessalonians 3 later. But it's a great passage where he's talking about, and add verse 15 to that. Great passage where he's talking about, man, you know what? If no one's working, if no one is serving, guess what? They don't get to eat. He's like, and that's something that should be known to everybody. Hey, receive them as a brother, not as an enemy. But man, get busy and you won't have these little petty disagreements with each other. Look at verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for what? And things wherewith one may edify one another. Build one another up. That's what you need to follow after. For meat, whatever it is, that is your preference. Destroy not the work of God. It's it's not. All things indeed are pure. But. It is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Again, to go back to Aaron's example, music is not inherently, well, how do I word that? Music can be evil. Listening to it, if you listen to it and it doesn't affect you, in that sense, no, it's not evil. But for him, it does cause him to stumble. So if he listens to that old junk, to him, that's evil. Do you guys see that, how it's his preference there? And how we need to look out for people who have those kinds of things that make each other stumble so that we don't put that big boulder in front of them and cause them to trip? It all goes back to considering each other. It all goes back to esteeming each other better than ourselves. We do that, we won't kill a youth ministry. Main goal, point two, is peace and unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ as you seek to forgive and what? What's the blank? Forget. Forget. Yeah. I just quoted it, but Philippians 2 3 on the screen again. Let nothing be done through strife and va- or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other. Better than themselves. I ask this almost every time I quote this verse. It's a favorite of mine, but anybody know what the next verse says? Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. There's you in the youth group. There's everybody else. Everybody else better than you. If everybody had that mindset in here, we'll be just fine. One last place I want you guys to go. Turn over to Psalm 103. Not so easy to forgive, harder to forget. I have this note in here. I can tell it's a recent note because I completely and utterly forgot that I put this in my Bible. But this very famous psalm, as you will soon see why it's very famous in a little bit, this very psalm, it is projected by Bible scholars, people who study chronologies. It's very possible that this psalm was written by David soon after his sin with Bathsheba. You think about the ramifications and the consequences of what he did, and how it affected his other wife, how it affected his kingdom, how it affected his whole family. And then we read verse one. In fact, let's go ahead and do this. Jaden, can you read verse one? Everybody take a verse, we'll snake around. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that with that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Verse 4? Oh, 4. The ungodly are not so. Psalm 103? Oh, well, not so. <laughs> You're good. It's a new Bible, Hayden. No, it's good. <laughs> Wants to come back to you? Yes. All right, Ray, go ahead and take four. Who redeem, my life <clears throat> from destruction? Who crowns thee with loving loving kindness and tender mercies? Hayden, verse five, and then Walker you can do verse six. That I may see the good of thy chosen. Uh, wait, one, That was 106. Oh my God! Dude, this font is small. I don't blame you at all. All right, 103, yes. verse 5. How can you read that? Who <laughs> satisfied satisfy thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is re- renewed like the eagles? The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and piteous in mercy. He will not. Not hmm. always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He forgets. He hath not dealt with us <clears throat> after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquity. He forgives. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Hmm. <laughs> so far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father with his children, so the Lord pitieth them as that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. Hmm. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto his children's children. Hmm. To such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. Hmm. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rolls over all. Bless the Lord ye his angels that excel in strength that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless he the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of the, his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, all my subjects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a very famous song that Matthew Redmond made popular. A couple verses that we recognize there. But you give the context of it, knowing when David more than likely wrote this. Forgive and forget. Because God has forgiven and forgot all of your iniquities. So we ought to with each other. All right. Application, point three. When in doubt, don't. I have the last two verses of Romans 14 up here on the screen for you. Hast thou faith? In other words, confidence that you're okay to entertain this liberty, to stream those shows or to listen to that music or dress the way you dress, etc. Have it to thyself before God. In other words, don't go saying everybody needs to think this way. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth, in other words, if you're confident that, hey, you know what, I'm able to entertain this liberty that I have in Christ, Ugh, but what if it causes me to stumble? I don't know. He's saying here that if that's you, if you doubt, you're damned or you're convicted if you eat because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. In other words, if you have a conviction, Honor it. If you think that you watching this show is going to, or this movie, and you think that maybe there's something in it that's going to cause you to stumble later, when in doubt, don't. It's that simple. And you better have confidence. You better have a conviction. You better have faith. Otherwise, if you're just going into it blind, then you're the one in sin now. So when in doubt, don't. I have on here, I I typed up this list and this will go quick. A list of practical questions to help you guys navigate preferences versus principles. I don't say this enough and I really wanna, I really wish I would have said this at like chapter one when we started Romans. Uh, Especially for those of you who have wide margins or new wide margin Bibles. You guys can take these study sheets, put them in your Bibles because again, the book of Romans will, it will help you unlock the rest of the New Testament. It'll help you to know sound doctrine, everything we've covered, everything we've looked at. So if you want the past study sheets, because maybe you've thrown them away and you want to start doing that, let me know. I'll email them to you. I'll even fill in the blanks for you. I might even give you my teacher's notes with the little highlights to know which ones we're going to read and which ones are on the screen. Anywho, if there's, so if you haven't done that, if there's one thing that I would love for all all of you guys to put in your Bible, right in Romans 14, it's every single one of these questions and the verses that follow them. Because they will help you greatly. So, in letter A, when approaching someone you believe to be in sin, in other words, you think that they're not having a right attitude, or maybe they said something, or maybe they did something, and you're having a hard time figuring out, okay, is this a matter of salvation or sanctification? Or is it just a petty problem of mine? These questions will help you before you go and talk to that person. Here they are. First bullet point. Is there a scripture that shows this act that they committed to clearly be sin? Is there? If so, you better look it up first before you go talk to them. Because let God be true and every man a what? Romans 3 4. Second question is it a clear violation of scripture or did someone just bother me yeah it kind of sounds like question one only this time you're really making sure because a lot of times we can make the scriptures say whatever we want them to say to justify our cause so is someone clearly in sin or did they just maybe rub my feathers the wrong way again let God be true in every man a liar and subsequently, if they are in sin, or actually not that, it, subsequently, for third question, is God angry with this person over their act? It, well, if they're in sin, then yeah, because they grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4. If God isn't, next question, then why are you angry at them and in sin yourself? Which is what that passage in 1 Corinthians says there. That you're the one in sin now if you're angry with them without cause. You got to check these things. Mm. And after you are putting these bullet points in your Bible, you might want to star and highlight and double underline this one. Did you talk to that person first before anyone else? Do you know how many churches would still be surviving if people just did that And disregarded the rest of them. Did you talk to that person first before you went to anyone else? Because when you go to somebody else and get their opinion, they have their own slant on it. They have their own perspective that they might go into. And it'll influence the way that you think instead of going directly to the source Mm. Matthew 18 15 that's that's the chapter on church discipline go to that person and talk to them first if there's an issue and man I'm telling you guys what make sure you put this passage down in your Bible Proverbs 25 9 to 10 debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another Lest, in other words, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. He that heareth it, the stranger, put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. You're going to be the one ashamed if you do that. Because all that's going to do is create a talebearer and a gossip. When you start going to other people, instead of going directly to the source title of tonight's message is, How to Kill a Youth Group Quickly. How to Kill a Church Quickly. This happens all over the place. we got to be careful. Next question. Are you assuming that you're the stronger brother and they're the weaker one? Yikes. Make sure you receive them. Romans 14.1. Are you jumping to conclusions and judging strictly on appearance? What did Samuel say? Man looketh not on the outward appearance. Or man looketh on the outward appearance, but God judges the heart. John 7.24 says the judge righteous judgment. Second or last question there. Are you attempting to judge motive, which only God can do? Jeremiah 17.10 says, I the Lord know the heart, I the Lord search the reins. So that's when you're approaching someone that you'd believe to be in sin. You better ask yourself those questions. You better have them in your Bible so that you know where you can turn to, to look at them before you go do that. And letter B, when using your liberty in Christ to exercise what you perceive to be a preference. So let's say you're on the other end of the perspective, the other end of the table, and you're going to listen to whatever you want. You're going to watch whatever you want. You're going to dress however you want. You're going to talk however you want. First question for you. Instead of asking what's wrong with it, ask what's right about it. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. What's right about it? What's bringing God glory here? Second question, does this thing I'm about to do have the tendency to control me? Hmm. That reminds me of, uh, you guys remember a couple years ago, Mike Blake, man, he's getting a lot of attention tonight. You guys remember a couple years ago, Mike Blake did our our camp and he had mentioned about, you know, a lot of you might think that because I'm not doing heroin or, or drinking or anything else, you might think, hey, at least I'm not like that guy. And you don't realize that you're searching through, you're surfing through YouTube or you're streaming Netflix and binge watching Netflix, that is your heroin. That is your alcohol. It's just something different is it controlling you? Eh. Third question, will doing this build others up? If not, might want to reevaluate. Would you be embarrassed if you were raptured doing it? Fortunately, many, many people don't even consider that when they're doing this. Can I be a good example while doing it? Will it numb my conscience? Can doing this help lead someone to saving faith in Christ? Does doing this give off the appearance of sin to others? 1 Thessalonians 5.22 is a verse that all of you should have memorized by the time I'm done with this sentence. Anybody know what it says? Louder. It's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Like a punch in the gut, isn't it? That's why the Word of God in Revelation chapter 10, it's sweet to our mouths, but when we start to digest it and we start to practically see it, it's so funny. Romans 12 to 16 get the least amount of billing in all of the book of Romans, and it's the most practical part of the entire book. (sighs) man, so let's start, or let's end how we started. I love you guys. And Romans 14, 1, anyone's weak for whatever. If, if somebody has made you weak, if you're just weak right now in your walk, you are received here. And if we for every reason have not made you feel that way, I'm sorry. And come talk to me. And if there's any issues, come talk to me. Talk to any one of your leaders. We're here. We're here. We care about your success. Because you're all going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And I want to hear the Savior, the Master's voice, say to you, all individually, well done. Let's pray. Father, I do want to thank you so very much. Uh, I just want to thank you that we hit Romans 14. What a beautiful chapter. And I know that I needed Romans 14 this week. That's one of the things I love about just going through a book of the Bible. Lord, you're in control. You dictate what chapter comes next to teach on. (laughs) So I'm very, very thankful that you put this chapter here because I needed reminded of that. I needed reminded of how weak I was and how I was received by faithful youth leaders of mine. And a faithful man who stood up and preached the word of God. I love you. I pray that as we conclude this epic book next week, um, that you would just be glorified and honored and that you would give us a great and tremendous winter camp. We love you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.